just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. Back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Friday and I am jacked up today. Not because of the news, not because of politics. Now don't get me wrong, there's plenty of shit going on and we'll talk about that. But the reason I'm excited is because later on tonight, my wife and I are going to babysit my granddaughter and my grandson. Now that's what I call real fun. Just go there be childlike and play with those knuckleheads. It's going to be a great time and I'm very excited about it. Now a lot of things happened that we can talk about today. Nancy Pelosi quit. Um, We've got some more election news. Uh, Elon Musk is fucking up Twitter. All kinds of stuff to talk about. So we'll get to that in a bit. But I have a few emails that I need to read first. This first one comes to us from V. Well, Mike, Republicans are going to take over the House. They'll have a slim majority, but that hasn't taught them anything. Kevin McCarthy is already on Fox News threatening investigations of President Biden regarding the withdrawal from Afghanistan, Hunter Biden's dealings, COVID-19 origins, and a bunch of other stuff that no one will give a crap about. I feel Ed's pessimism on yesterday's podcast is justified. I was hoping we would keep the House so we can get a few wins like passing a voting bill that doesn't allow the states to gerrymander the heck out of the states like Florida and Ohio did this last election, which in my opinion is what delivered the House to the Republicans. Agreed. I was also hoping for Congress to pass a bill to tax the very rich so we can have more social programs, especially ones that help children and students and also help the middle class to become stronger. I'm so disappointed that for the next two years we won't have more beneficial legislation like we had the last two years. Also, it boggles my mind how the people in red states gave their Republican legislators even more power uh, than supermajorities like they did in Tennessee. How do they think that benefits them? I appreciate you being positive and I'm usually not as gloomy, but I just hope we can cripple the Republicans more and more in the future so this country can move forward. Thanks, V. You're absolutely right. For two years, the Republicans have talking about inflation, immigration, high gas prices. <laughs> they're not even in office, and the first thing they say, they're, they're going to investigate Hunter Biden. Now, here's the problem for those people. And, and here's where the division is going to happen in the Republican Party. I'm not convinced we won't get some things passed, and I'll tell you why. The thing about it is these investigations into Hunter Biden or Joe Biden, they're all baseless. There's no facts. They will go nowhere. They'll be like Benghazi. It'll be a lot of wasted time and money. But what these people don't understand is those things right there that they're talking about doing are the very things that caused them to be embarrassed in the midterms. It wasn't just Donald Trump. It was their 
chaos and their aggressiveness and the violence and all that sort of stuff and the just goofy behavior. They don't get that that's what costs them the election. They're just fucking oblivious. But what you have to understand is only a faction of the Republican Party. Not all of the Republican Party is like that. Now, I'm not suggesting part of the Republican Party is good, but they're smarter than these fucks. They realize what I just told you, that these crazy stunts are the things that cost them elections. So they have to be in a position now to try to get some things done. And in order to get things done, they're going to have to work with the Democrats. So I think there will be some things that get passed, maybe not quite as good as if it were a, a Democratic-held House of Representatives, but there will be some things passed. The good part about the Republicans holding the House is now that's going to be a campaign issue for the Democrats. When they don't do anything over the next two years or do very little, assuming that's what happens, they're going to be able to use that in their campaigns coming up to 2024. And this has happened in the past. This happened um, with Bill Clinton back in the 90s, and it happened with Obama in uh, uh, 2010 or 2014, one of those two. But the fact is, the Republicans got hold of the House. They didn't do jack shit. The Democrats used it in the campaign, and each time they won after that. So as much as the Democrats think they've got this thing, Dick, they really don't. They don't have enough power to do anything, and they're essentially split. The people that are trying to step away from Donald Trump will not want to side with the crazy fucks. The crazy fucks don't make up enough people to really be effective, and they will diminish the normal, relatively normal thinking Republicans. So the Republicans are in a lot of trouble here. It's not necessarily a bad thing that they got the, uh, the House, especially since it's such a thin margin. There's really not much they can do. I said in a TikTok, you know, if they want to do investigations of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and all this other stuff, in spite of the fact they've been talking about um, inflation and gas prices and such, if they want to do that, what the Democrats really should do is just step back and let them make fools of themselves. They've been doing it all along for six years now, so just let it go. And if they want to investigate Joe Biden or they want to investigate Hunter Biden, we know the new rules in Congress. If you get a subpoena, you can just fucking ignore it. If they ask you to turn over documents, you can just ignore it. Play the, uh, play the long game and try to run out the clock. Clearly, that's not a problem. The Republicans showed us that. So I would suspect if they don't make themselves out to be complete fools, let them, let them uh, try to go through the process to get these people to comply with subpoenas. The problem is if they turn it over to the DOJ, well, the DOJ is still uh, controlled by the Democrats. So they're not going to get any room there. They're not going to accomplish anything. And I do think the reasonable-minded Republicans will have to compromise because they know with all this fucking around that these these crazy fucks are doing, that's not going to help them in 2024 at all. So they're going to have to show that they've done something. And the only way they can do that is by compromising to a certain extent 
with the Democrats. Don't get too gloomy about this. Look, you can't go into anything assuming the worst. And I personally think that what happened in the midterms is far better than what anybody else predicted. And uh, we're going to be fine. Just, just relax. It's going to be fine. Next one comes from Gordy. He says, Hello, Mike. After listening to your podcast on Thursday with you and Ed, I was especially excited to hear about the Mormon Church acknowledging same-sex marriage. I'm from Utah, born, raised, and have been a very active in the most in most church for over 40 years. However, am now what they call uh, us who don't um, attend regular, less active, and have been for mere, nearly five years now. You know, when I lived in Arizona and the town was full of Mormons, my boss, my landlord, everybody else, uh, my boss had a um, had a uh, brother who was younger than him. He, My boss was 30. I was 19 at the time. And this guy was probably about 24. And he didn't follow any rules, any Mormon policies or anything like that. And he referred to himself as a Jack Mormon. I don't know if that's still something they suggest, but this is somebody who not only doesn't go to church, doesn't comply with, the, or doesn't uh, uh, stand by the rules of the church. Anyway, he goes on to says, I am in no way an expert on the Mormon church, every changing stances on a number of issues. My understanding is that they gave the okay and got behind a bill to recognize same-sex marriage, which was just recently passed in the Senate. However, this bill is full of loopholes. It gives religious uh, religion the right to not be forced to perform same-sex marriage. That's important, especially in the Mormon church narrative. You see, to get out to the highest degree in heaven, you must be married, but only a man and a woman, no LGBTQU people. The church hasn't changed their doctrine or teachings and are still treating LGBTQ people horribly. This is mostly a smokescreen from the church. If I understand it correctly, they're basically saying we recognize same-sex marriage, but not in our church, because you're much more brighter and more knowledgeable than I. Uh, could you look into the bill just recently passed by the Senate and see if there are loopholes like that, What I'm uh, like what I'm talking about? I'm sorry if this email is too long, but thanks for your sanity in a world of cuckoos, Gordy. Yeah, I will look in that. It looks like it's gotten a step closer to being reality, and they're expecting that it will pass the next step, and it will be uh, will be in effect. It will be federal law. Um, I'll be honest with you. Even if it were federal law, I'd be surprised if the Mormon Church or any of these other uh, the evangelicals they they would abide by it. I I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. Uh, getting it passed through Congress and making it law <clears throat> really isn't about the religions doing what they want to do. It's about undercutting the Supreme Court by codifying that law so the Supreme Court can't outlaw it like they did with Roe v. Wade. So what they're effectively doing is codifying uh, this this marriage bill where anybody can marry anybody, and that saves... Um, save us from having the Supreme Court deciding 
what we do as a people. Uh, but I'll check into the bill. I haven't read the bill. I've only heard bits and pieces about it, so I'm not an expert on it. I'm certainly not an expert on Mormons. The only thing I know about Mormons is I lived in a community that was largely Mormon 40 years ago, um, and that's all I know. And I was 19, and I didn't know shit from shit when I was 19. So I can only know what I experienced at the time, but I'll look into the bill and, and, and try to decipher some sense of what it really means to religions. All right. The next one we have is from Deb. Deb's been a pretty prolific emailer lately. Thank you, Debbie. I, or Deb. I don't want to call you Debbie. I knew somebody who was named Deb, and I would call her Debbie, and she almost hit me. So I'm sorry, Deb. It's Deb. <laughs> she says, hey, Mike, only three things on my mind today. Number one. I just have to say thank you for mentioning Rachel Maddow's Ultra Podcast. I listened to all of it uh, that was available today and loved it. So was all that eerily familiar. I can almost put House representatives and senators' faces from today to the characters she was discussing from 1944. It was so close to what's going on in our world. She's a master storyteller. And this was just one more example of her talent. Yeah, she actually does a very good job on, on the podcast. And it's, you know, you think of a podcast as an ongoing type of thing, but this will have a finite amount of shows. I think it was something a little different. I think of it almost more akin to an audiobook than a podcast, but it is very good. And it's very eerie how what was going on in 1940 mirrors what's happening today. You would think we would have learned something back then, but apparently not. If you don't know what we're talking about, I had mentioned a podcast that Rachel Maddow has, and it's called Ultra. And if you have the time and the compulsion to listen, I would definitely do it. It's not only interesting, but it's extremely well done, and Rachel Maddow does a great job in telling the story. Number two, I was sad to see Pelosi give up leadership, but like you say, time for the old guard to step down and make way for the younger ones to step up. Yes, you're, you're right. I mean, she is 82. They're trying to kill her. Those might be some red flags to say, you know, maybe I'll just relax for a bit. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Number three, you and Ed were once again a delight. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever said that, but I appreciate it. I can't say enough how much I enjoy your podcast together, but I did want to say the past two podcasts with him, at a few points during your conversation, his phone seemed to cut out. Just quick glitches, but I, but I did miss a word he said once or twice. This is just an FYI. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Here's the problem. If we... Uh, uh, when we do the shows, we do it on Zoom. He's in Tennessee, I'm in Minnesota. And, and those kinds of things can happen depending on how the internet is. Generally, mine is pretty good, but he's in fucking Tennessee in a small town, so I don't even know how he gets his internet. And uh, it can get glitchy from time to time. We, we try to avoid it. The other thing I'm trying to get Ed to fucking do, but <laughs> he hasn't done it yet. I'm trying to get him to turn his fucking phone down because every so often you hear this ringing and it annoys the piss out of me. I don't want to get on Ed's back too much, 
but turn the motherfucking phone down. Deb finishes off by saying, Keep up the great work. You are my main entertainment every weekday morning. I actually hear your voice before my husband's. <laughs> LOL. Well, I will tell you this. You probably listen to my voice before my wife does every morning. So I appreciate that. I, I truly do. You know, when I first started doing the podcast, I knew it would take some time because you got to build up listeners. And I'm used to being on the radio and I'm used to getting reactions to things I say or do or whatever. And when you first start out a podcast, you really don't have that because you don't have as many listeners. Now that we're getting quite a few listeners, it's now to me starting to feel like a radio show. I'm, I'm getting the same sense that I had when I did a radio show. So I appreciate all of you listening and interacting and doing all those things. It, uh, it makes me feel good and I appreciate it very much. All right. Well, the the news, we really didn't talk about it with Ed because it hadn't happened um, by the time I ended talking to Ed. But, of course, the Republicans will get the majority control of the House. Um, President Joe Biden's legislative hopes for the remainder of his term are kind of in check here. With the Senate staying in the Democrats' hands, congressional leadership will be divided for at least the next two years. And frankly, I think come 2024, the Republicans will be just about fucking done. The outcome in the House was expected, but it didn't happen in the way Republicans hoped it would. Democrats broadly exceeded many analyst expectations, dashing GOP's hopes of a red wave. They were talking about the red wave. Never, ever, ever, ever showed up. It looks like the way the House is going to be split is about 221 to 214. So now you need 218 to get the majority. So we're looking at like a three-seat lead. That's a pretty slim margin. And that doesn't afford them a lot of power. And as I've said before, not only do they have a slim margin, but they've got a bunch of other problems. They've got to vote for a Speaker of the House. Now, unfortunately, in the House, whoever gets appointed or gets elected Speaker has to get 218 votes. That means whoever is going to be elected Speaker of the House for the Republicans is going to have to get all but three votes, almost unanimous vote. And that's going to be hard to do. I mean, we know that um, Kevin McCarthy, who covets the idea of being Speaker of the House, I don't know if he will if he gets there, because it's not going to be that fun with that slim margin. But anyway, um, he's got to get 218 votes to be elected Speaker of the House, and that's not likely. Like I said before, the Republican Party is pretty well split. Everybody saw how the midterms went. Some of those Republicans understand why they lost in the midterms. It was because of all the crazy, chaotic shit they were doing. But there's, like I say, another faction in the Republican Party that want to continue that crazy shit by doing investigations of Hunter Biden and all this other shit. So those people aren't going to vote for the same people that the people trying to get away from the Trump-la-fuck policies. 
and it's going to be hard for them to come together and actually agree on something. And the thing about it is, is even if they don't vote in Kevin McCarthy, I don't know who else could get that job. Jim Jordan going to get it? No. Paul Gozar going to get it? No. It would be kind of ironic if one of those clowns did get the Speaker of the House because once it becomes known which sitting members of Congress were involved in the insurrection when the January 6th committee um, exposes it or even the DOJ exposes it, can you imagine how fucking crazy it would be if the Speaker of the House, the sitting Speaker of the House, gets indicted? And he or she would, depending on who it is. I mean, hell, Kevin McCarthy might get indicted, given his activity. He was talking to Trump all day on January 6th. If you think this is a time for the Republicans to shine, and they're going to have power, and they're going to get a lot of shit done, you're mistaken. They don't have enough of a majority. They don't have any unity in the Republican Party. They're going to be fighting themselves before they even get to the Democrats. So don't worry about this shit. Republicans are going to be an absolute shit show in the House of Representatives. And you know, <clears throat> I think Deb brought up how um, Ed tends to be pessimistic, and I tend to be more optimistic. And and me and Ed kind of bump heads because we don't always agree, and I think that's good. You know, I know his heart's in the right place, and I know he and I have similar beliefs, but he tends to be more pessimistic. But I want you to understand something. He was worried about the red wave, and I said it wasn't going to happen. Now, I will say this, and I guess I have to acknowledge this because I said I would. Prior to the midterms, I said that I believed the Democrats would win the Senate and the House. Ed was a little more skeptical about the Democrats winning the House. And I have to own it, man. I was wrong about the House. I was right about the Senate. All the Republicans, though, said this is a red wave, a red tsunami. While I was wrong on the House, I think we'll be okay there given the circumstances. But with all the media, the CNNs, the MSNBCs, and all these people talking about what was happening with the midterms, I was right about the Senate. I was wrong about the House. But you know what? I was closer than all those motherfuckers. Because what they were telling you didn't happen. And everybody's acting surprised. They shouldn't act surprised if they simply looked at the fucking facts. It didn't make any sense. All right, the big news yesterday was, of course, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced Thursday that she will step down from leadership. They're calling it a seismic change for Democrats that ends her historic 20-year run atop the caucus and clears the path ahead for a new generation of leaders to take the helm. She said, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress, she said in a speech on the House floor. She said she will continue to represent her San Francisco district, but will step back from her leadership role. Now, that's interesting. Most people in her position would not only 
not stay in leadership, but then would leave the House of Representatives and just retire. But she's not doing that. She's going to continue as a representative, which is probably good news for the Democrats. As much as she may not be the leader or the Speaker of the House later on, um, she will be there to consult with whoever is the leader at the time. Now, people were acting like they were surprised that Nancy Pelosi is not going to run for re-election as to leadership in the next Congress. And I don't quite get that. I mean, Nancy is probably regarded as one of the best speakers of the House in the history of this country. And I think that's warranted. She's very savvy. She's very tough. And the Republicans hate her because, well, she's a woman. But she is 82 years old. She's had multitudes of people charge the Capitol, screaming that they want to kill her. One said Trump LaFuck breaks into her house, assaults her husband with a hammer, and he had intentions of killing her. Yeah, you know, you're 82 years old, you may want to kick back a little bit. It's getting a little rough out there. And she doesn't need this shit. She's got plenty of money. She's got nothing to prove. Just relax. So one of the people they're talking about as a possible replacement for Nancy Pelosi is Hakeem Jeffries. And I think that's a great choice. If you've seen Hakeem speak, he's very intelligent, very articulate, and like Nancy Pelosi, maybe even more so, no fucking nonsense. He'll get in your face and say what he means, and there's no question about it. And it's about time we had that kind of person in politics. And have that man be younger. Now, I found out how old he was. He's 52. He's not that young. But he's probably the right age to be a leader for the Democratic Party in the House of Representatives. And, of course, he's going to piss off the Republicans because, well, he's black. God forbid we have a black guy as Speaker of the House. Now, I know in this coming session he won't be the Speaker of the House because the Democrats don't have the majority. But come 2024, I think you might see something different. And, in fact, you may see something even before that time. Remember... We've got some other things happening between now and 2024. We could be maybe looking at some expulsions with these fucking sitting members of Congress that are um, that are going to be indicted and, and, and expelled from Congress. Should that happen, that changes everything. Now, initially, I thought that the governor would appoint a representative, much like they would for a senator, but that's not true. One of the listeners straightened my shit out on that and explained to me there would be a special election. And that's all well and good. If we get a Republican representative kicked out of Congress, we can have a special election. And yes, whoever gets voted in could be a Republican, maybe more than likely a Republican, depending on what district they come from. But at least there's an opportunity for the Democrats to um, kick it up a notch and win some of these special elections. And given there's only a three-seat difference, 
it wouldn't be hard for the uh, for the Democrats to take over the majority. I know this might be pie in the sky type shit, but you got to look at all the options out there, and that certainly is one of the options. Now, Pelosi said, for me, the hour has come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I deeply respect. And I'm grateful that so many are ready and willing to shoulder this awesome responsibility. Now, uh, she announced her decision after weeks of breathless speculation about her future plans. I mean, I could have told you this. It's a perfect time to do it. She no longer has power in the House with the majority so she will be the minority leader. She's been there. She's done that. She doesn't need to fuck around with it. Now, what that means is kind of uncharted waters ahead for the House Democratic Caucus, which has been led by the same trio of people since 2003, all of whom are now in their 80s. Because, you see, she's not the only one retiring. Also retiring is the House Majority Leader, Steny Hoyer, and House Majority Whip, James Clyburn. Now, they didn't tell us what their plans are, if they're going to stay in or not, or if they're just going to bow out of their leadership roles. But, as I say, these, these people are all in their 80s. They're not going to be there very long. We're going to see a turnover in the Democratic Party in the House, and younger people are going to step up. And fortunately, in the House of Representatives, there's a lot of good young people to step up. Hakeem Jeffries, like I said, he's one. Um, you've got uh, Katie Porter. She was reelected. It was a close one, but Katie Porter got reelected, and she would be a great leader at some point. You got AOC. You got uh, Swalwell, Eric Swalwell. There, there's a lot of good potential leaders there. <clears throat> and we're going to see a turnover in the Democratic Party. We're likely to see a turnover in the Republican Party, too. They may try to hold on longer. I mean, people like fucking Grassley down in Iowa, who's 89, who just signed on for another six-year term. I don't think he's going to fucking make it. But anyway, we're going to see some changes. And it's about time. Like I've always told you, it's time we break away from the old white man rule. It hasn't been working out too well, and when things don't work out, I always say, try something fucking different. All these old white men, and women for that matter, are paving a way in the future that they aren't going to see. The people that are going to live that future and have that destiny are the younger people, people like Hakeem Jeffries and even people younger than that. Those are the people that are going to have to live with the results of what happens in the House and the Senate. So why not it be them to make those decisions? They can't do any worse than the old white men did, and they'll probably do a lot better. There's not only a change in our politics or our politicians, but clearly there's a change in the country in general. Part of the reason the midterms went as well as they did for the Democrats is because the uh, Millennials and the Gen Z's stepped up. They started to vote. They took an interest in what's going on in our government and they saw the writing on the wall. They said, fuck this, we're going to take control here. And in control they took. Without their huge turnout in votes, Things wouldn't have been the same 
in the midterms. And I'm very happy to see that. I'm happy to see that they're looking down the road. They understand the ramifications of letting the status quo go. They understand that they are going to have to live through and pay for all the things these old white people did for them or to them. And now they've decided we're going to take the bull by the horns and we're going to fucking take care of this. And uh, there is no better news than that in our politics, in our government. So I'm glad to see that. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Now, with the Republicans campaigning in the lead up to the midterm elections, they were talking about inflation, they were talking about gas prices, they were talking about immigration, they were talking about all these important problems that needed to be addressed, and they said the Democrats weren't addressing them. So you would presume that once they got into some sense of power, even though it's limited, they would have some ideas as to what to do about said problems. I mean, they were complaining about the Democrats, get us in there because we got problems. Okay, how are you going to fix those problems? However, in their first press conference after winning control of the House of Representatives, Republicans said they'd uncovered crimes committed by President Joe Biden's family. Representative James Comer of Kentucky. Yeah, they got some doozies in Kentucky. The top Republican on the House Oversight Committee said Thursday that he and his colleagues have spoken to whistleblowers, reviewed a laptop owned by Biden's son Hunter, and received documents reflecting previously unknown financial traction, uh, transactions. I'm surprised they didn't say, just you wait. They love saying, just you wait, and then never come up with anything. So apparently the inflation issue, the gas prices and immigration and other things really weren't that important to them. Because as soon as they sense they have some power, how, regardless of how limited it is, they want to start the investigations. Well, I can promise you that not all Republicans in the House want to get into that shit. I'll bet you Mitch McConnell is going to have something to say about it. Now, he doesn't oversee the House, of course, but he's got a lot of power in the Republican Party. And the idea that this is they're going to be their focus, well, that's a mistake. As I said earlier in the show, uh, these kinds of things are the very reason they lost the midterms. And as I've said, maybe the Democrats just need to step back and let them fucking go crazy. Let them destroy the next election for themselves. But there are going to be smarter people in the Republican Party, in the House, and in the Senate that are going to say, no, no, this is fucked up. You're, you can't do that because we're just going to lose again. So that's where the conflict is going to come in the Republican Party. They are going to have all kinds of problems here. Now, let, let's be perfectly honest. If there is evidence that Hunter Biden... <laughs> broke some laws. By all means, indict that motherfucker, send him to trial, and convict him. Go ahead. We don't care. We don't care. But the fact of the matter is, what does Hunter Biden have to do with our government? Nothing. Now, they're trying to tie Joe Biden into this like he's the big guy and he's taking money and all this stuff. 
Okay, well, show us the proof. Show us the evidence. That's always been the weak point for the Republicans. They're good with rhetoric, and they're good with accusations. But for none of these accusations, for the last four years or six years, they haven't shown us anything. I mean, Jesus Christ, we understood the FBI had access to Hunter Biden's laptop for two years. We never heard anything from the FBI. The chain of command in this whole thing is so fucked up, it's not, you won't even be able to take it to court. So you got to focus on other things. What's going to happen in the Republican Party in the House of Representatives is akin to what we've seen with Mike Lindell. It's going to be a joke. It's going to be laughable. And that's what we really need to do with these fucks. Embarrass them by laughing at them because they're absolute fucking idiots. I don't know if they're doing this out of revenge or they really believe it or what. But the bottom line is, regardless of why they're doing it, it's not going to fucking work. And there are some smart Republicans that understand that. So it's going to be interesting to see if the smart Republicans or smarter Republicans can get these folks under control because these folks are going to do nothing but hurt the Republicans' chances in 2024. Now, this same guy, Representative James Comer from Kentucky, appeared on Thursday's special report on Fox News where anchor Brett Bayer questioned him about his plans to investigate Hunter Biden. Now, as the ranking member of the House Oversight and Reform Committee, Comer probably will end up the committee's chair in the next Congress after the Republicans take over the House. Now, Comer has made no secret of his intentions to investigate the business dealings of President Joe Biden's son when asked last week to name his top three oversight priorities. Comer listed Hunter Biden first. <laughs> How, how does that affect inflation or gas prices or immigration? That just goes to show you how these crazy conspiracy theory motherfuckers think. You voted them in, and I'm talking to the Republicans, you voted them in because you wanted the Republicans to have control in the House. Now, this is what they're going to do with your time and money. Comer formally introduced his plan on Thursday at the Capitol, what we proved today was, first of all, Joe Biden lied to the American people when he said he had no knowledge of Hunter Biden's shady business dealings. Oh, now lying is a problem for them. I don't know if Joe Biden actually lied. I don't care if he fucking lied. I only care is what he's going to do for the people of this country. But now lying is a problem for the Republicans. What did Donald Trump do? He lied like 30,000 times, and every one of them in, in Congress fucking lied on a daily basis. Comer told Bayer hours later, We learned today that one of the business propositions was trying to get China's foot in the door on American natural gas industry. I think the American people need to know that. Has that compromised this administration? Well, I don't know. Do you think stealing top-secret documents and handing them over to the uh, Russians, do you think that compromised anything? You know, it's funny. These more serious things, they, they push aside like they never happened. But they're trying to dig out every little thing. I don't know what they hope to hope to get out of this. 
I mean, Joe Biden's been very effective legislatively. He's got a good track record. If all they're trying to do is trying to destroy him, even if they do, so what? He's going to be 82 in 2024. I honestly don't think he's going to run. And all this fucking around is going to do nothing but hurt the Republicans. Bayer asked Comer why he's announcing this investigation now nearly two months before Republicans will officially take control of the House. Why roll this out today, he queried. For the people who look at this and say, what did you take from the midterm elections? Republicans talked about focusing on the economy and inflation. Why roll this out today as a first kind of foot forward? And he went on to say, well, we have the commitment to America. Really? <laughs> you want to overthrow democracy? That's hardly a commitment to America. If it had four different tenets. One tenet is holding this administration accountable. The Oversight Committee is 8% of the Republican conference. Wow. So we're focused on identifying waste, fraud, and abuse of the federal government. The congressman said the other 92% of the House Republicans will focus on issues such as inflation, immigration, and energy policy. We can walk and chew gum at the same time, he added. I beg to differ. You got your ass kicked in the midterms when you should have had a red wave. I personally think you should probably not chew gum and try to accomplish something. You see, again, this is the problem with the Republican Party. You got two totally different factions in the group, and they are not going to get along. One set of Republicans that are trying to set themselves apart from Donald Trump and that whole crazy fucking mess, which cost them the midterms, is not going to side with these crazy fucks. So there's going to be a lot of infighting here. And it's not going to be good for the Republicans. They aren't going to be able to do much of anything when it comes to governing in the uh, House of Representatives. Now, of course, Donald Trump announced a third run for the White House on Tuesday night. We all know that. Um, he's under the false belief that his candidacy will protect him from any federal investigations or prosecutions. Well, Donald Trump would be wrong about that. That's just not the case. It won't protect him at all. However, the DOJ announced their investigation into the documents recovered from Mar-a-Lago will continue, as will the January 6th House Select Committee's own probe into Trump's actions around November 2020's election. Now, after Trump failed to appear to testify before the committee on Monday, they tweeted that they would evaluate their next steps regarding Trump's noncompliance. He was subpoenaed, and he was supposed to testify on Monday. What he does instead, even though he said, oh, I'd be happy to testify, kind of like Jenny Thomas, but he doesn't, he files a lawsuit to avoid doing it. Well, that doesn't mean that the J6 committee can't send out a referral to the DOJ, and they might very well do that. I, I honestly don't think the uh, Democrats... The J6 committee really had any sense that he was actually going to testify. I think they were just making a point. Now, RNC chairwoman Rona Romney McDaniel, yes, she is Mitt Romney's niece, has already publicly announced that the committee will no longer pay Trump's legal bills. 
all the legal bills that they've been paying for Trump, which are substantial, they are quitting doing that now that he's a candidate, which will be extra troubling for Trump now the, that the CFO of his company has directly implicated him in tax fraud. Yeah, Alan Weisselberg was testifying. He even got weepy because he was ashamed of all the things he's done, all the things he was convicted of. And while he said he wouldn't testify directly against Donald Trump, he said that for show. He's testifying against the Trump Organization, and he has to be honest, otherwise he's going to jail for 15 years, which is essentially life for a guy who's already 75 years old. But he basically said that Trump knew about this tax fraud and even signed documents to that effect. So as much as he was trying to protect Donald Trump, or at least act like he was, he ain't doing it. And he's crying and whining. Here's a guy that's very wealthy, sent his grandkids to private schools, expensive elite private schools, had cars given to him, had houses given to him in lieu of pay so that he could uh, subvert or get around playing, paying taxes. Well, he got caught for that. Now, on the same day as Trump's lackluster campaign, and I've said that before, that, that, that announcement that Donald Trump made was very lackluster, very low energy, and it was largely due to the fact that they forced him to stay on script. He doesn't get ranty and ravey unless he goes off script, and for whatever reason, he didn't do it in that situation. Former Trump Organizational Financial Chief Alan Weisselberg took the stand in Manhattan State Supreme Court. Weisselberg testified on Tuesday in the company's criminal trial on tax fraud charges and told the court he received $1.76 million in untaxed, off-the-books perks from the Trump Organization, confirming several aspects of the distri district attorney's case. you got to remember, he's testifying and he's testifying for the prosecution. Now, the prosecutors allege that the Trump Organization was involved in illicit compensation scheme that lined the pockets of a number of executives like Weisselberg. But Weisselberg testified that Trump suggested in 2005 that he move into a luxury Riverside Drive apartment using company funds and even signed the lease for the property. Donald Trump signed the lease for the property. You can't say he didn't know if he's signing the fucking lease personally. Now, in addition to paying for Weisselberg's rent, the Trump Organization covered his utility and parking fees. According to the indictment, it's, it's your understanding that that was authorized by Mr. Trump, Assistant District Attorney Susan Hoffinger asked about the payment of the utilities at the rent-free apartment on Tuesday. Mr. Weisselberg said, that was my understanding, yes. Now remember, he came into this saying, I won't testify against Donald Trump. Well, he has no choice. He can say that, but he just said that Donald Trump did agree to that and was part of that whole decision-making. That's not good news for Donald Trump. And if that doesn't get Elvin Bragg off his ass and uh, ultimately indict Donald Trump, I don't know what the fuck you've got to do. Elvin Bragg is going to have all kinds of problems if he doesn't 
um, indict Donald Trump after how this court case is going. Now, Trump's companies also paid for Weisselberg's homes and for an apartment maintained by one of his children, including new beds, flat-screen TVs, the installation of carpeting and furniture for Weisselberg's home in Florida. That's all a no-no, and it's all an attempt to avoid paying taxes. And, and, and frankly, the IRS and the, the uh, prosecutors don't have a lot of humor when it comes to this shit. You know, here's Weisselberg crying on the stand when he's had everything handed to him for 30 years. That's how long he's, maybe 40 years, he's worked for Donald Trump's dad and now Donald Trump. They both conspired. Donald Trump, the Trump Organization, and Alan Weisselberg conspired to commit fraud against the United States government and the IRS. I don't know. For my money, that's against the law. And if Donald Trump is signing leases, he's just as culpable or complicit as Alan Weisselberg is. So, Alvin Bragg, you're sitting up there in Manhattan District. You're saying, I don't know if we're going to indict Donald Trump. It's going to be hard for you to say no to that when the evidence is right there in front of you in a court case that you're involved in. Moving on to social media. You know I've said all along I've never been a fan of Elon Musk. I think he's an arrogant, narcissistic piece of shit. He's an opportunist, and he's not as smart as he claims to be. We know that in most of his companies, like Tesla, that company was already in existence. The cars and stuff were already invented. Elon Musk had nothing to do with that. He just stuck some money into it and called it his own. When it came to SpaceX, he knew that NASA was going to supply money to anybody that can start a space program because NASA wasn't going to do it anymore. So once again, he took that opportunity. He jumped on board. He took the government money and he built SpaceX. Well, now he's got Twitter. And let's be perfectly honest. He is fucking up Twitter. I mean, Twitter may be done and crashed within a week. It's that bad. Now, hundreds of Twitter employees appeared to flee on Thursday. Yesterday, Elon Musk demanded that only extremely hardcore staffers remain as he seeks to transform the social media giant to fit his own vision. Now, you have to understand, he's already fired 50% of his employees. Before he even walked in the door, he fired 50% of his employees. Now he pulls this hardball thing and says, if you're not going to commit to 18 hours a day and do all this shit, you can just leave and I'll give you a severance of a month or two. Well, hundreds of people took him up on that. They took him up on that. So now, essentially, 75% of Twitter's employees... 75% of Twitter staff is now gone. And that's a problem. When you're trying to deal with technology and moderate what's going on on Twitter, it's impossible to do with that few employees. 
it's not going to do well. My, my, my brother is a director for a large health company. He's a director of IT, so he oversees a lot of people that do well, maybe similar things to what people do in Twitter. And, and my brother said, he has no fucking idea what this, this guy clearly has no idea going into this. Because if you start losing people that fast and it's that barren in a company, shit's going to happen. There is going to be shit that's on the, uh, posted on Twitter. And since there's no moderators, there's no way to stop it. It is going to become the Wild West. I've even heard people say that, you know, there, there, there are certain glitches already happening on Twitter right now. So <clears throat> Twitter's in kind of a shaky situation. Musk sent a memo to staffers Wednesday morning saying Twitter would only have room for those prepared to work long hours at high intensity. He said going forward to build a breakthrough Twitter 2.0 and succeed in an increasingly competitive world, we will need to be extremely hardcore. He wrote only exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade. Now he's so arrogant that he thinks he can say this sort of thing and people are going to say, yeah, 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 I'm on board. But here's the thing, Twitter is dying. Do you want to leave while you can still hold your head up halfway high? Or do you want to wait till this fucking thing crashes and then you have to walk away from the wreckage? Anybody with half a brain is going to get out of there as soon as they can. Now the email asked staffers to click on any link if they were prepared to meet those expectations. Anyone who declined would be offered three months severance. That's a pretty good deal on a dying company. The New York Times reported that Musk and his team met with some Twitter workers who had not signed on the new expectations just hours before the FP, uh, 5 p.m. deadline on Thursday, trying to stop some employees deemed critical to business from leaving. See, now see, there's where the stupidity comes in. You play hardball with these guys, and these guys or ladies say, fuck yourself, and they say, oh, we screwed up. we got to try to convince them to stay. No, you shouldn't have put out that fucking memo in the first place, you dumb son of a bitch. He also appeared to um, scale back his demand that all employees return to the office for at least 40 hours a week. Yeah, now he's backpedaling because he's seeing that Mr. Tough Guy here, Mr. Superbrain, isn't so fucking smart, and people are just telling him to fuck himself. He said, regarding remote work, all that is required for approval is that your manager takes responsibility for ensuring that you are making an excellent contribution. Musk said before adding that any manager who falsely claims someone is doing excellent work would be fired. But as the Thursday ultimatum period passed, it appeared that hundreds, hundreds, now keep in mind, he already fired half the employees, half the staff, but hundreds of resignations had begun to pile up, including some employees Musk had tried to woo before the 5 p.m. deadline. So, Mr. Musk got a heavy dose of fuck around and find out. CNN's Oliver Darcy reported that the company's Slack server was full of employees posting the salute emoji 
effectively signaling their departure. One former employee who left recently described the event as a mass exodus. Yeah, that's what you need, Elon. You want to keep this fucking company uh, working? You don't behave the way you do. You can't be a narcissistic, arrogant piece of shit. You need all these people to run this fucking place, and you fucked around and found out. Now, Darcy added that the company emailed staffers late on Thursday saying it had immediately closed Twitter's office and suspended all badge access until Monday. And then he said, we look forward to working with you on Twitter's exciting future, the company added in the note. But see, this is what he did. He just fucking shut the doors, locked everybody out. They aren't going to open up again till Monday. Well, let's take a weekend break. Well, that weekend might be devastating on the app. Now, Musk finalized his $44 billion takeover of Twitter's just last month. He then laid off half of Twitter's 7,500 full-time employees and reportedly fired any other workers who deigned to criticize his management style. Mr. Mr. Arrogant, Mr. Narcissist. It's unclear how the recent bout of departures will impact the company's ability to operate, but all you have to do is look on Twitter and see what the fuck is going on. Musk paid $44 billion last month for Twitter. Right now, at least last report, it's worth $8 billion. Oh, there's a fucking genius. There's a genius. He lost, um, what, 70, 80% of his company's value in just less than a month? Elon Musk thinks of himself as this master genius, and a lot of people thought that too, but I think we're finding out who he truly is. He's more like Donald Trump. He talks a good game, but when it comes down to doing something, he has problems. He doesn't deal well with people. He's too arrogant and narcissistic. And like Donald Trump, Elon Musk will crash. Twitter may crash because they just don't have enough people to keep it up and running. There's a lot of shit that has to be done. You've got to maintain the cloud. You've got to maintain the IT systems. And if nobody's there to do it, it's just going to fall to pieces. I mean, it's like not changing the oil in your car. It might run for a little bit, but eventually it'll seize up and you'll be fucking done. And that's essentially what he's done with Twitter. As I've always said, I'm not a big Twitter user, so this is no skin off my nose. But there's a lot of people that do, and it's a very valuable entity, but it's losing value every day. And I also heard, and I'm not sure exactly why this is, I, I guess I, I, I can imagine, but they say this, propose, this um, proposes some serious security issues, too. I don't know what to what extent, but uh, if the Russians can go on there and do whatever they want, it's still a powerful app. A lot of people use it. So if the Russians, the Saudis, the Koreans, or whoever, or the fucking Trumplefucks want to go on in there, Basically, it's going to end up like True Social, which will be down the shitter probably in the next two months. It's a sad state of affairs. Twitter was quite a uh, force in this country in terms of social media. But I don't think the future looks real good for Twitter, especially as long as Elon Musk is the one running it. 
So we got this uh, deal down in Arizona. The midterms are over. It took a little while after the midterms, but Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake lost to Democrat Katie Hobbs. However, Carrie Lake has declined to concede the governor's race. And I always thought this was funny. The Republicans or the Trump folks would always say, well, Donald Trump never conceded, so he's not out of office. No, you dumb motherfuckers. That's not a legal situation. They don't have to concede the race for it to be a legal loss. It's more of a courtesy or a tradition. It has nothing to do whether or not somebody gets to keep their office. Now, if Carrie Lakes thinks by not conceding the governor's race, she still has a hope. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like that movie Dumb and Dumber, where Jim Carrey says to the uh, I can't remember her name. He was married to her for a while, <clears throat> but he says to the girl that he's in love with. He says, what are the chances that a guy like me could end up in a relationship with a girl like you? And she looks at him and says, oh, like a million to one. <laughs> and Jim Carrey says, so you're saying I've got a chance. That's exactly what Carrie Lake is doing here. No, Carrie, you don't have a fucking chance. A million to one, that may... may sound like you have a chance, but you don't. This whole concept of suggesting there was election fraud, everybody's tired of that. You've come too late to the party with that fucking bullshit. So, Carrie Lake is out, Katie Hobbs is good, uh, and she's in. Um, and that's good news. Now, Carrie Lake said, rest assured, I've assembled the best and brightest legal team, and we are exploring every avenue to correct the many wrongs that have been done this past week, Lake said. In a video address posted Thursday morning, I'm doing everything in my power to right these wrongs. Well, how about this, Carrie? Before you try to right these wrongs, how about you show us the evidence? This is always a big sticking point for Republicans or Trumplifucks. They love to say shit, but they have no evidence. Mike Lindell has no evidence. Donald Trump has no evidence. Kevin McCarthy has no evidence. This Comer guy who's claiming that Hunter Biden's laptop is the answer to inflation, he has no evidence. None of them have evidence. And Carrie Lake, you're fucking done. Now, on multiple occasions, Lake, a Trump-backed candidate, another loser for Donald Trump, sidestepped questions about whether she would accept the results of the election. This was prior to the election. Now, since Election Day, Lake has called election officials incompetent, and shortly after Hobbs was projected as the winner, Lake tweeted, Arizonans, no BS when they see it. Oh, there's a good comeback. Lake on Thursday pointed to printing malfunctions in Maricopa County, the state's most populous county that includes Phoenix, calling it unforgivable and claiming voters were disenfranchised. Now, 70 of the county's 23 voting centers early on Election Day used printers that churned out ballots with ink that was too light for tabulation machines to read. It didn't chew up the, the, the ballots. It didn't throw them out. The ink was too light. Now, voters could wait in line until the issue was fixed. 
cast a ballot at another vote center, or deposit their original ballot in a separate secure box that was sent to the county's central facility for tabulation, presumably by hand. So it's not like anybody was disenfranchised, but that's what they want you to believe so they can make some claim that uh, they didn't really lose, but that's not true. Now, county election officials have repeatedly pushed back on Lake's allegations, saying no one was denied an opportunity to vote and indicated that the issues impacted less than 7% of election day ballots. Now, of course, she'll use that to try to plead her case. But, you know, after the last two years of going through this, having the cyber ninjas in Arizona and all this shit, it's, <clears throat> it's not going to work. It didn't work the first time. It's certainly not going to work the second time. And people just aren't going to be interested anymore. They just aren't going to care. <clears throat> and fortunately, the Secretary of State, uh, it was a Democrat that won the Secretary of State position in Arizona, so she's not going to get any help from her. Um, you just have to laugh at somebody like this. This person had no business being a governor of anything. <clears throat> governor of Guam, let alone Arizona. And she got exactly what she deserved. She lo lost the race, and she can go back to doing whatever the fuck she was doing, being on TV or just being um, a Donald Trump suck ass. You can go down with Donald Trump because Donald Trump is not coming back. Donald Trump is going to sink lower and lower every day, and you can just go down with him. There's a ton of people that are like lemmings and will jump off the cliff with Donald Trump when that time comes. And that time is coming pretty goddamn soon. Anyhow, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time to sit and listen. I hope you have a great day, and uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.